0: Hello, Welcome to another episode of Alps in Brief, the Alps Risk Management Podcast. We're coming to you from the Alps home office in the historic Florence building in beautiful downtown Missoula, Montana. I'm Mark Bassingthwaite, the Alps Risk Manager, and I have the pleasure today of sitting down with Jordan Couch. And Jordan is an attorney and cultural ambassador at Palace Law. And uh, he has done some writing on... Uh, redefining Lawyers, and we're just going to have a conversation today about relevancy. Uh, and Jordan, before we jump into our conversation, would you take a, a few minutes and just share a little bit about yourself, and, and can can you kind of fill us in on what's this uh, culture ambassador all about?
1: Yeah, so uh, I actually grew up out in eastern Montana, so part of me wishes I was in Missoula right now, <laughs> um, but I'm a plaintiff's workers' compensation and personal injury attorney out in Tacoma, Washington these days. And I, in my office, I carry a few roles, but, you know, the main one is that I'm an attorney. And then in addition to that, I am the cultural ambassador of the firm. And what that comes from is a couple of years ago, the management team sat down at the firm and decided we needed to lay out what our mission is, what our values are, who we really are as a firm, and we needed to define that. So, you know, our mission is to help the injured in every community. And we have a list of seven core values that we think help us do that. My job is to Make sure that we are living up to that as a firm and that we are promoting ourselves based on that and kind of conversing about that. Because it's one thing to define your values and your mission. It's another to live them. And so my job comes from everything from talking about it to others to making sure that when we hire people on, they're people that share our values and are going to stay with us because they believe in those values. And also encouraging conversation around it in the office. We have monthly values that we kind of focus on. We talk about them and share stories about them. And then I'm also around encouraging people whenever they want to try something new in the office or pitch a case to take or a new idea for the office. I tell them, you know, make sure you put it in terms of these values and sell that to the team and talk about it that way and have it be a part of our everyday life instead of something that we define and set aside. So. That's that's that job.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really like that. It's uh, you know, it, it's a tangent here for a moment, but I, you know, I, you you find businesses of all types, you know, to include law firms, but you know, just sitting down and talking about vision statements and all these kinds of things, and it, it's one thing to kind of do the, the preliminary work of defining who you want to be. And it's another thing to walk the walk consistently day after day throughout the year, year after year. And boy, I love that. That's, that's, that's a great idea.
1: Yeah, it's a unique position and it's taken some trial and error. But yeah. you know, we're, we're making new efforts on it. We constantly try it and we have to you know, find ways to encourage people to talk about it every day. Yes. So we have big posters around the office too that talk about the values and are posted up everywhere. So you can't walk into the office without seeing them. And our clients see them the second they walk into our office too.
0: Very good. Very good. One of my interests in, in again, having this discussion, you know, I I do over the years quite a bit of CLEs and uh, a lot of consulting. But in in a number of the CLE programs we do, and we we tend to focus on risk management, malpractice avoidance, ethics, that kind of thing. But in recent years, I've been setting up some hypos and and just talking about changes in the law. And I, I find it interesting when I talk about the rise of AVO advisor, as an example, or Legal Zoom. You, you see so many lawyers really starting to get, I don't know if it's threatened or upset. And, and to my surprise, one of the comments that keeps coming up over and over again, these lawyers get up and they'll say, because we're on a panel typically with bar counsel or ethics counsel, and this kind of thing, and they'll start yelling at the bar, it's your job to fix this to do something. It's the unauthorized practice law go out and make these entities go away. And, and we all sit here kind of, you know, it, it's, it's not the role of the bar to do that, obviously. But we sit here and say, these guys just aren't getting it. Law is changing and evolving very, very rapidly. Now, I'm not here to say that's a good or a bad thing, I I have my opinions about it, but I I sit and say these guys that have these kinds of opinions, from my perspective, seem to just not understand. And and I understand that they're frightened by it, but they don't see how they fit in going forward. And so the answer is to bury their head and and, and trail others to try to make this go away and and you and I both know that just is going to happen so uh, sort of with that that premise you know uh, speaking to the solo small firm lawyers in particular um, what thoughts do you have about you know how to stay relevant what what's what does it look like you know you've been referred to as a a lawyer futurist as well and can can you kind of start to navigate this direction for us?
1: Yeah. So there's a lot there to talk about. You know, I always begin with telling lawyers that at the end of the day, right now we are bad at what we do because you ask lawyers and I've done surveys, you know, what do you do? And they say, oh, we're protectors more we're problem solvers and we're helpers. But over 75% of legal needs go unmet. Now, not only is that kind of a shame and a stain on our profession, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, that's a huge market that is untapped. Those are people out there that have legal needs that you know, want us to do the things that people pay us to do, and we're not doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think sole and small firms, especially, are in a good opportunity because they're flexible. You know it's part of why I like working in a smaller firm. We can go after that marketplace. And so, when we, instead of seeing Avo and LegalZoom as competitors, think of them as people with really good ideas we should steal from, <laughs> and then go after that same market, because the tr- at the end of the day, they're not going after the clients that we fight over. You know, most law firms fight over 10% of the clients, the rest of us fight over the other 15% of the clients, and then 75% is just out there waiting for someone. And they're not people that can't afford an attorney. You know, I do contingency work. Everyone can afford me. But it's, there are legal me- needs that just tend to go unmet, so... Uh-huh. You know, the first thing I always tell people is this is opportunity. And the way you have to go about, you know, addressing this is instead of looking at people as competitors going against your business, redefine your business. Because if your business is writing stock wills and trusts for people, your business will die and it will die soon. And it's time you need to start inventing new ways to better serve clients, to not only go after that 75% of people that are not tapped into but also to do your own work more efficiently and make more money off the work you're doing and have a better work-life balance and a better life. So you know, solo and small firm attorneys are highly overworked and do a lot of administrative stuff that they're not trained to do that they don't enjoy doing, and there's a lot of opportunity there. One of my favorite examples is actually a friend of mine, Forrest Carlson, who is a Wills and Trust attorney, and he looked at LegalZoom and looked at AVO and saw that this was competing against him by offering low-cost services, so he built his own website WashingtonWills.com or W-A-Wills.com that allows people to create a will online on their own, and it's completely free. So he's undercutting LegalZoom, he's undercutting Avvo, and serving these people. But what happens when the things get a little complex and they can't do it on their own is they get routed to him to hire an attorney, and they want his services. And they've already got the basics of work done, so he gets to focus on the higher level work, or as I like to call it, practicing at the top of my degree.
0: Interesting. So he's using this tool then, as I understand it, as, as sort of a, a, a screening. Uh, it, it's going out and finding the clients for him and at the same time providing a service.
1: Absolutely. You know, we have a similar thing in our office. We've just launched, launched what we call the Bot because my boss's name is Patrick. And it's a robot on the front page of our website. It's right next to a calculator that'll tell you how much your case is worth for free. And then it's this robot that will look through your case and talk to you about it and tell you you where your case is, what steps you need to take, because it gives us more informed customers coming to us. Some people will look at that and say, oh, I can do all of those things, and they'll go and do it. And those are the clients we don't want in the first place, because they'd be mad at us at the end and saying, well, you didn't do anything. Why am I paying you, right? Right. I could have done this on my own. Now they know exactly what we're going to do, and they know what needs done in their case. And if we can't offer value to them, they're not going to hire us. But if they look at that and say, I want someone else to do this, then they come to hire us and they're, we get better clients and we get to focus on the more intricate, interesting legal work.
0: Help me understand how sort of the journey that you guys took. And I, I'm just – what I'm trying to understand is what advice do you have? If I'm sitting here saying, okay, um, I need to be something different, um, you know, but – i'm I'm stuck in other words so yeah how what can you share for, for folks just saying okay I I, I kind of get the gist of it but I have no clue how to move forward here
1: So first thing is to just stop and you're gonna have to stop and take time and kind of take a leap of faith in this system that it you know means something and where our office began is my boss had been you know bar president for a while and he'd been speaking about these issues and I had been in law school. Uh, with some really great mentors that had taught me about these issues in the legal profession and got me looking at this. And you know, he finished up his term, and a little while later I came into the office, and we had a lot of good, innovative people in the office that supported this idea. And we sat down, and it was just time to say, okay, what do we need to do differently? How can we do things differently? And we decided to take a step back from our work mm-hmm. and actually invest time in what needs to be done now. And it's it takes an initial investment, and it takes looking out there and kind of asking yourself, you know, what am I doing that I don't like doing? What am I doing that I don't need to be doing? What do I, what are the things I like least in the day? And we actually did surveys in our office asking the entire staff, you know, what don't you like about your job? What is your biggest hindrances? And start by identifying those. And as you start listing those out, ask yourself, well, do I have to keep doing that? Can I outsource this? Can I automate this? And that's just the beginning of it, right? Of looking at just the things you don't like. And then there's a, there, there are a lot of things that can be done about this. And, you know, there are are a lot of processes that can be learned on you know, design thinking where you start focusing on what your clients need and trying to get their perspective and getting them involved in the process. Um, but it really begins with just sitting down and taking time to think and taking time to act creatively and practice creativity. You know, there's a There are a lot of books on how to kind of train yourself to be creative, and I taught a CLE where we talked about that a little bit. But there are little things like just practice coming up with crazy ideas like, you know, what would be a you know a really weird practice area, like what if I wanted to be a food lawyer, or what if I wanted to, you know, go out and invent, you know, the next legal zoom, right? Just come up with these crazy ideas or have a robot that would answer all of my clients' questions, right? Right. And some of them will be impossible, but some of them will start to turn into really good ideas and you know can be developed. And don't be afraid to test things. I think one of the biggest hindrances that lawyers face is they're afraid of failure. And at the end of the day, as long as you are afraid of failure, yeah. you will never innovate Yeah, because you have to be open to it and recognize it. Because what happens if you're not open to failure is you don't catch on to it quickly enough because you don't want to admit that you failed. Whereas in our office, our goal is to fail as fast as possible, right? So if this isn't working, we want to notify identify it right away so we can adjust and try something different. And we do that a lot. And, you know, I, I'll give one example on that. We spent a lot of time trying to kind of get our clients, you know, to call us less, because that was a big hindrance we noticed in our surveys. It was just lots of client calls coming in. And we thought, what if we made it easier for them to communicate with us? So we've spent a lot of effort into systems that allowed them to have a portal to communicate with us, email, phone calls, letters. We allowed them to text us and made it easier for that to happen. And we did all this work, and calls didn't go down at all. I'm thinking, okay, what's wrong here? So then we went back to our clients, you know, you can ask them as part of the design thinking process, like, why are you calling so much? And we started looking at it and we realized what they're calling is they're afraid of things. They're on workers' compensation. They want to know when their check is coming in. And mm-hmm. that's every two weeks. And so they're calling every day, check every two weeks, right? Is my check here? Is my check here? And we thought, well, why don't we just tell them when it's here? So we took the tools we built in that whole project that was something of a failure and kind of rehabbed them into a system. And now our clients get automatic notifications of updates in their okay. case. And those calls went down a lot quickly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. What I hear is, you know, we I really like this because we're talking about redesigning the entire delivery system as opposed to, um, you know, can I get a new computer and, and some new software and, and try to be a little more efficient? You know, th- th- this is not... Um, you know, throwing a little money and trying to create, and there's nothing wrong with creating efficiencies. But what I'm hearing is we're really talking about total redesign and, and questioning and challenging our own assumptions about how law should be delivered, how these legal services should be delivered. Um, I, I really like that. Can I also have you comment a little bit I noted in your article you were talking about, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, that this 25% is, you know, that is the traditional client base we are all competing over. And and you have kind of looked at and, and talked about collaborative efforts here. C- can you kind of explain where you're going with that?
1: Yeah, there. there's a couple things to say on that. So one is, you know, you talked about kind of redesigning it. I like to talk about this concept called reframing, which is a new method of problem solving. So, you know, most lawyers, the the older model was, you know, you have this problem, you apply this solution, and it's the solution your dad applied when he was a lawyer, right? And it goes back and back. And now you've got the more innovative attorneys out there that are applying, like, what different solutions can I have to this problem? Reframing is about taking a step back further than that and saying, am I solving the right problem? You know, if you look at, in the legal news study in Washington, low-income families had on average more than nine legal problems in a given year. Solving those problems doesn't solve anything. You have to step back and say, what's really going on here? And really investigate what's happening. And it's hard to do that as an attorney. And that's one way that collaboration really comes in and is important. You have to bring in outside people to work with things on you. So in our office, we have a project manager whose job is just to find ways for us to do things better. She has well, I mean, she has legal experience in that she's been in our office for a while, but she has no legal training. She's not a paralegal. She is just someone who is in charge of projects. And she runs a team that brings in stakeholders from around the office from different departments to try to find better ways to do things because, you know, it's, it's really hard as a lawyer to think of something new. We've gone to law school for three years. We've had internships. We've trained on this old model. And to come up with new ideas is cognitively almost impossible in some ways. But if you have someone come in who has no training in this and says, wait, why are you doing this? It gets a lot easier. And so there's that collaboration. It also, you know, collaborating with Lawyers outside of your community, you know, there is a growing movement of phenomenal attorneys all over this country and out of the country that are doing amazing things, little things just in their office that can make a big impact if they become, you know, more broadly accepted. And the nice thing about this is they're not competitive people. I think those who, have, you know, in this community have realized that a rising tide raises all ships, right? We all work yeah. together on this. And I've found you know i've been traveling around the country a lot over the last year and meeting with people and everyone i meet with has been phenomenal and we work together on projects and we find ways to make all of us have you know a, a better relationship with our clients better services for our clients we share ideas we work together on things you know um and in our office we've worked with you know outside partners too we have i think 5 tech companies right now that we're collaborating with And we're collaborating with Suffolk Law's IT lab because of a friend of mine there who's a professor there. So lawyers don't have all the answers, and it it helps to have outside people come in. One of the more remarkable experiences I had that kind of led me down this path was about three years ago, and I went to a legal hackathon that we did. And it was amazing to see all these lawyers come here and present these problems that they saw as really complex problems and have the tech people and the coders there say, well, that's really easy. Why haven't you done that already?
0: (laughs) I love it. You know, I'm also, as you're aware, a, a risk guy and something of a tech. You know, when you think about just your own experiences here, are there, um, I, I guess, some tech tools or, or risks, uh, risk advice that you might share um, for people thinking about moving in this kind of direction? I mean, you know, what so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel?
1: Yeah, one thing I actually like to talk to people a lot in this kind of new future model of legal services is trying to commoditize legal services. Yes. And you know, there's a, there's a good reason for that. If you look at the legal system, it's a very unique and bizarre market where everything is based on hours. And so, you know, imagine if you went to Amazon and you bought a package and they charged you for how long it would take them to mail the package to you and you may or may not get that package. That's the legal system in a nutshell, and it's because lawyers don't know what their services are worth, and that's a problem. And so when I tell people to look at this, I tell them to try to find ways to commoditize, to really define and market, you know, it's not they're hiring this attorney for their expertise, they're hiring this firm to provide the product that this firm provides. And one thing that's really essential for that is having systems in place and definable Measurable system so that every client comes in and gets service that will be on timelines that will be on specific things and that's a huge bonus for risk management because yeah. the biggest risk is human error in everything that you do. So if you have you know in our office with workers compensation we have a lot of issues that have statute limitations and we might have you know 10 20 things at a time on my on my table easily that have statute limitations that I need to address that could be harmful for my client if I don't. That's a lot for a human being to manage and, you know, we have it documented. We used to have it documented, written down in multiple places, and there was human checks and, you know, a lot of room for errors, and that's bad. Because the more humans touching a system, the more room for error there is. Yeah. So now we created actually automated systems for all of that, for all of our kind of regulatory stuff, so that every time a letter comes in that we have to respond to within a certain timeline, mm-hmm. it automatically creates tasks in our practice management system, which is Clio. It automatically creates cards on our workflow system, which is Trello, which is kind of a visual workflow system. And it automatically notifies us of all this and, and creates, like, notifications with deadlines attached to them so we can see the deadline coming up. And this is all automated so that we don't have to worry about, oh, did this person enter the wrong date here or the wrong date here? Everything's done automatically. And, you know, there are human checks on that because you don't want to get rid of humans entirely and just trust machines, but it's all automated for us. And that allows us to provide a better, more safe system for our clients where they can know that we are on top of everything that comes through to us. And we do the same for just staying on top of cases. You know, We have technology-aided you know, systems for our file review process to go over all of our cases to make sure we're managing them on a regular timeline. And the technology really helps with that. And it, you know, again, started looking at, you know, what are the things we hated doing? And a lot of people said, well, all this manual, you know, data entry, I really hate doing that. And, you know, thought, well, that's an easy thing to automate. So I call it being, you know, a tech-enabled lawyer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you think, sort of a final question from myself, um, and I'll give you a second if you have any closing, closing thoughts, excuse me, um, There are a lot of lawyers out there that I have worked with that are what I would describe perhaps as mid-career or um, a little bit further beyond as opposed to the millennials just starting out in in, in, uh, so many ways. When you think about all that you're talking about here, are these opportunities... really limited to the millennial group? Or if, if I'm in my 40s or 50s, do I can I still do this? You know, if, if I'm somebody who's not highly uh, trained with tech and comfortable, um, do, do, you, do you have any thoughts about that? Because I do see at times that lawyers just say, I don't understand any of this.
1: So it takes a little more work. You know, I think, although I know millennials that are not good at this, uh-huh. but I think millennials a little better poised for this growing up kind of in this tech generation and being taught to kind of question some of these ways that legal, you know, the legal profession has worked before. But, you know, my boss is in his 40s or 50s. I can't remember which for sure. Um, And he does this. And what it takes is not necessarily having all the skills to do it, but having the knowledge to say, I need to do something differently. Uh What can I do differently? And then going out to find people, because at the end of the day, you don't have to be the expert on all these things. And... You know, there are some who disagree with me on this, but I don't think every lawyer should learn how to code. I don't think lawyers need to have all these skills. They just need to have a baseline such so that they can get into a situation and know who they need to talk to and how to find the experts. So, you know, we have a big data analytics project in our office that we've been working on for a while. It's been kind of a pipe dream of mine, and I was lucky enough to make some friends at Suffolk who I of course couldn't do all the coding and build the algorithms for this, but they they did, they could. And you know, they said, well, can we do this as part of our class, as part of our education for my students? And I was, of course, happy to say, yes, you want to do my work for me. That's a pretty good deal. So, and we've kind of built on that partnership just because they have the skills that I don't have. We have people in our office whose jobs is just working with tech and working with client relationships, things that are not legal because those are the things we don't know. And I'd say, you know, a simple analogy that I think attorneys will understand a little better is, how many of you run your own marketing campaigns versus hire someone to consult with you on marketing a little bit? tech is no different, you know, Any or how many of you have accountants that you go to, right? Tech is no different than that. It seems different because it's scary and it's new, and I understand that fear, but at the end of the day, if you can hire an accountant, you can hire a tech expert to come in and help you, and if they can't demonstrate the value to you, then it's not the right expert.
0: Mm-hmm. That's an important takeaway for me, uh, I, I, because I do think lots of lawyers that have not Quite grown up in the way that my own children and you know, I'm I'm in my uh, late fifties now, you know. In terms of our, our children's generation, you know, it, computers are very different thing, and and I, I do feel, you know, lawyers we are taught to problem solve and to be creative, <laughs> some of us anyway, um, uh, and and so to have the ability or to to, to have the the To take the leap of faith that you don't have to be a computer whiz kid to do this stuff. It's about having the idea, as you know, that's what I'm hearing, and then finding the right people to help you make that that idea a reality through testing and talking to your clients and, you know. But I I like that. It's a hopeful thing to me. Um, Do you have any final comments you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: You know, I don't think I said it yet, but there's one other thing that I think is important to this as well is having a culture because sometimes I meet attorneys and one attorney will say, yeah, I really love this idea, but, you know, I don't know how to convince the other partners in my office or I don't think my staff would get on board with this. Oh, good point. And I mentioned earlier, you know, you have to demonstrate the value to people. So, you know, if you can't go to them and say, here's the time you're saving – Here's the value you're getting out of this project. You're never going to get buy-in. And people always ask me, like, how do I convince people to do this? Don't convince anyone. Because if you're convincing, you're starting off on the wrong foot. Show them the value. Build a culture around this where people can communicate with each other and work together on things so that you see the issues as they arise. And if you have to be convincing people rather than, you know, them coming to it because they see the value of it, then it's not going to work. And it takes buy-in from teams. So one really helpful way to do that is go out to them and You really do just ask them, like, what don't you like? What do you wish you didn't have to do every day? What do you wish was easier for you? How can I make that happen? Because if you get that kind of buy-in or people feel ownership of it, they really take to it and they really get excited about it. And we have, you know, the first of our core values, although I wouldn't say that any is more important than others, is being creative, innovative, and adaptable. And that's really important in client service because if you're going to be asked, you know, why should this client hire you instead of the other 15 firms in the area that do the exact same type of law – I would like to tell my clients, you know, everyone else cares, everyone else does these things, but I'm going to provide a team of creative, innovative, adaptive people who are going to invent new ways to better serve you. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's that's an important point. Thank you for sharing that. We are uh, out of time. I I would like to say thanks uh, to Jordan. Uh, It really has been a pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, To our listeners, I hope you found something of value out of the conversation and if in future any of you have any ideas for a topic or if you have questions or concerns you'd like to see addressed in one of these podcasts please don't hesitate to reach out to me at mbass at alpsnet.com thanks for listening bye-bye